You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Thomas Berceau, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Kaskill and presented by the National Lipid Association. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is becoming increasingly common among young obese patients, a population for which cardiovascular disease and diabetes poses a significant concern. Can levels of liver fat serve to help us gauge future risk for these metabolic consequences in children? My guest today is Dr. Miriam Voss, pediatric hepatologist and assistant professor in the Division of Gastroenterology at Emory University School of Medicine. Dr. Voss, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So they used to say that the apple shape was better than the pear shape, and now it seems that that's all gone out the window when you start looking at their liver, at the shape of their liver. Yes. It's interesting because we didn't worry as much, I think, in the past about kind of the small amounts of intra-abdominal fat that give you that apple shape. But the latest association studies with liver fat in children and in adults show that that intra-abdominal fat, even though it's kind of the smallest depot, might be the most important for causing non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So how young are you actually seeing these kids showing up with fatty liver? Well, in my clinic, it ranges greatly, but probably the youngest I see kind of common age would be seven or eight years That's amazing. So how do you even find it? Are you scanning them with ultrasound? How do you even come about finding it? Most people are found incidentally. Most children, when they've come in for something else and they get some liver enzymes done because of abdominal pain or something like that, occasionally we'll see a child who had imaging for abdominal pain or in the ER if something was going on, they went to the emergency room and they'll get a CT scan or an ultrasound and it shows up on there. And then they show up at your door. Yeah, I'm starting to see a little bit more of pediatricians screening for it. So we've got docs who are starting to look for it, which I think is a good trend because if you start looking for it, you'll definitely find it. So what do you tell the parent and the child when you discover it? You say, listen, you've got fat in your liver, and they say, so what? And you say, listen, this is a sign that you are way overweight, you've got way too much energy stored in you, you've got to lose weight because if you don't, you could potentially get diabetes, heart disease, cirrhosis. I mean, can you really scare a seven-year-old into changing? I guess it's kind of a complicated answer because the parents that end up in my clinic, they're very concerned. I think maybe we we are all a little bit blasé about like a high cholesterol because who doesn't have a high cholesterol these days? But fat in the liver, I think, or having a liver disease is something that really serves as a wake-up call for a lot of families. And as you point out, you know, this is a family problem. Like the families that come to my clinic, it's not the child only that has a weight problem. It's the mom, the dad, the sibling. And so I do find that parents and the kids are willing to make changes. And so that's been something that's I think a real positive is that the liver disease, even though it's kind of a scary diagnosis, it actually leads families to kind of sit back, look at what they're doing, and make some positive changes. Well, you mentioned disease. So if you see fat in the liver, is it a disease or is it just a condition that you're seeing? You know, what makes it turn into a disease? And, you know, do you need to biopsy to prove that there's actually a problem? Right. So 
I think you're referring a little bit to this kind of the steatohepatitis, which is the fat plus inflammation, fibrosis versus steatosis. And I think it's a good question. Is steatosis alone reach the criteria of disease? I would say yes, because steatosis alone is associated with long-term poor outcomes in cardiovascular disease, decreased lifespan, and probably, you know, other associated metabolic syndrome kind of outcomes. But the worst form of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is certainly the steatohepatitis, where you have inflammation and fibrosis and the natural history studies in kids are not that great right now. We don't have long-term studies showing what really is going to happen to children. But if you extrapolate from the adult data, you could estimate about 10% of children who have you know, any form of, of fatty liver disease would end up progressing to end-stage liver disease over several decades. Yeah, that's an impressive number. I mean, 10% of a few million is a few hundred thousand kids that are going to be cirrhotic. So it's a it's a huge societal issue, not just a family issue. I didn't realize it was that high a number. So in adults, you would say 10% of, of adults with fatty liver go on to have end-stage liver disease. Yeah, the studies vary a little bit, but it ranges between 5 to 12, 15%, depending on which cohort they looked at. So I kind of estimate from the, when I'm talking with you know other docs and families, about a tenth. When you diagnose a child with fatty liver disease, and then you embark on some sort of treatment plan to cure them of that disease, because I'm sure it is curable. How do you track the liver fat? How do you quantify it? Because, you know, the ultrasound will just say, you know, there's some heterogeneity. So is there a way to say, okay, you have decreased your liver fat by 64%? There is now. We have not had that in the past, and it's been one of the things that was really challenging because patients and parents didn't really know what was going on, and I didn't really know whether they were improving or not. We, as well as other centers, have been working on developing more accurate markers, and here we're using magnetic resonance spectroscopy, and so it's very nice. So I send a kid to get an MRI, and they tell me he has 21% fat, and then I can send him back six months later, and it's 15% or it's 30%. And that's a nice gauge because although I don't think that the percent fat is probably as important, it's not as important as whether they have steatohepatitis versus steatosis alone. I think it's helpful for the parents because it's something that they're kind of working on. And if they're improving their fat, they're less insulin resistant, they've probably reduced their intra-abdominal fat, and I think they will be less likely to have inflammation as well. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM160. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host. My guest today, pediatric hepatologist Dr. Miriam Voss, assistant professor in the Division of Gastroenterology at Emory University School of Medicine. And we are talking about foie gras in people. Do you ever tell people what foie gras is and kind of tell them, listen, this is from overeating. You are eating too much corn. You know, I have not used that example, but it probably would give a very good visual image. Because I like to show my patients, you know, pictures of ducks and pictures of actually how they make foie gras by force-feeding these ducks corn. And it, it kind of hits home with them that they never realized, oh, perhaps I am eating too much and becoming quite gluttonous. <laughs> yeah. Well... I want you to try that next patient. <laughs> Say, you know what, what? you are foie gras. 
I might have to introduce that. Well, actually, so one of the things that I think is pretty interesting is the question between is it the eating or is it the exercise or is it both? And if I was going to talk about foie gras, I would probably also want to know, do they keep those ducks sedentary when they're overfeeding They them? do. They keep them in a I cage at the end of their life. Yeah, they do. Exactly. We are a fedentary society. We eat too much and we don't move. But can you cure a child of his liver fat just by increasing his exercise, or does he have to curtail his intake of carbs? I think it, it has to be a, both a dietary change plus an activity change. I haven't seen any patients be successful doing just one thing. But that said, I don't encourage families to change too many things at once. So usually what, what I'll do with a patient with fatty liver disease is have them pick one thing to tackle. What do you recommend first? What's the first thing you have them get rid of in their pantry? Or is it just pop? Get rid of pop first. If they're able to get rid of sugar-sweetened beverages, that almost always leads to a significant improvement in BMI over time, as well as an improvement in liver enzymes. Not all families can do that one, and so I'm pretty flexible, and I try to allow them to really come up with which thing it is that they're going to change. Like if they're going to get rid of sugary cereals in the morning, that's great too. If they're going to start eating at home instead of eating out for dinner five times a week, that's great too. And so I think for me, I don't really want to pick one thing for them, but I do see that if they choose sugar-sweetened beverages, that's such, it seems like it's an easier change and it's such a big change in calories, as well as I think fructose has some specific metabolic toxicity. Yeah, I mean, I've read that fructose kind of goes right into the liver. It doesn't even go into circulation and gets immediately turned into fat. So I'm wondering if you haven't been around long enough, but if you've seen an increase since the 70s with the introduction of high fructose corn syrup in pretty much everything and an increase in fatty liver now and what you know appears to be a pandemic of obesity. High fructose corn syrup definitely changed our eating pattern because it was a real inexpensive sugar that could be added to a lot of foods. Overall, like if you look at 100-year data, sugar has increased like four and five times from decades before. And so I think that both sucrose and high fructose corn syrup are important in probably a lot of the features of metabolic syndrome. And fructose, the reason why it might be so harmful, I think, is because fructose specifically increases intra-abdominal fat. And we already talked about how intra-abdominal fat seems to be more associated with fatty liver. So we don't know all of the mechanisms yet, but I did do a small study on reducing fructose in the diet of children with fatty liver disease, and we saw improvement in their liver enzymes as well as their oxidative stress. So how quickly do you see their LFTs go back to normal after avoiding fructose? Probably the average is most people improve their liver enzymes substantially over the first three to six months. The changes after that tend to be more variable. So actually, a lot of patients will actually get a little worse again. And I think it's because it's easy to make a lot of changes and then not always as easy to stick to them over the long term. Dr. Voss, when you look at liver enzymes being elevated... What exactly is happening in the liver? Is there inflammation or is it just being displaced out of the cells from the fat? Can you explain kind of what's going on on a cellular level? It's a good question. Traditionally, we have explained an elevated ALT in the blood as 
you know, that enzyme's leaking out of damaged cells. So there was either some apoptosis or necrosis where cells broke open, you know, and that leaks out and then it's high in the blood. But it may be more complicated than that because, for example, in steatosis alone, when you look at a biopsy, you don't really see damaged cells. And so is it just that there's so few that we're not really seeing them? Or is ALT and AST, are these enzymes upregulated by certain disease processes? So there's just more being made or more generated, and then that is increasing the blood levels. I think it's an interesting question that I know several groups are looking at, but the traditional kind of explanation for an elevated ALT is that leakage of broken cells, so a direct result of inflammation. So you can say to your patients, you are actually, you know, similarly to smoking a cigarette and killing lung tissue, by what you're eating, you are literally killing your liver cells. I want to say some strong statements here to, you know, that we can use to have some impact on our patients. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I tend not to use a lot of strong statements or sort of scary statements with patients. And I think that in pediatrics, we... We're dealing with a family unit, right? It's not just that individual who's responsible for themselves. It's a parent, typically, who's responsible for a child. And then depending whether it's a teenager or, you know, a much younger child, you know, there's a varying levels of sort of how you would address it. So the parents are usually concerned by the time they make it to me as a subspecialist because they've had several abnormal results. Do they have the insight, though? Can they make that leap they don't have the connection between their behaviors and what they've been doing every day as a habit that they thought was not that big of a deal to this now serious outcome for their child. I have a great idea for you, Miriam. Get a lawyer to talk to all of your patients and have a class action lawsuit against the parents for child abuse. And, you know, you'll get a finder's fee from the attorney. And perhaps that will change our society in that now you are liable if you are potentially killing your child. Because is it any different than secondhand smoke? I mean, you are literally putting your child in a dangerous situation by feeding them toxic high fructose corn syrup. The responsibility is shared. And I think it's definitely societal as well as parental. I got to tell you, Dr. Miriam Voss, I had a blast talking to you today. Great. I enjoyed it, too. My guest was hepatologist Miriam Voss, assistant professor in the Division of Gastroenterology at Emory University School of Medicine. And our topic was non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in children. ReachMD online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, visit www.lipid.org.